grab a drink. This is the man room. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the man room. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Marcus Bridges, and we got a real good one for you coming up here in just a second. So let's get the paperwork out of the way real quick. www.themanroompodcast.com is our hub. That's where you can go to donate. And uh, website is still under construction for sure, but we will have the uh, show up there very soon. So you can just go to a one-stop shop, get it all at the website. Right now, all the links are there. YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, uh, Apple. Um, if you want to donate to the podcast, we really appreciate that. Everything goes right back into it to make the podcast better for you. And uh, also, we've got some extra content available over at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash themanroompodcast. Uh, without further ado, we're going to get into talking to our guests today. And I like to write these little interview or these little intros because it makes me think of all the things that I know about the person that's sitting across from me and kind of put it right in their lap to see if it's either correct or just completely wrong or... or, or mucked up in any sort of way. So today's guest, uh, a friend of mine, first and foremost, he's a cider distributor, a former bar manager and bartender at multiple hotspots all across Eugene, Oregon, uh, former Oregon State Beaver football player, fullback, if I'm not mistaken. And you know him and I know him as the Portland Trailblazers gorilla. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Man Room Podcast, my good friend, Josh LaRoe. How you doing, dude? That's a, a pretty... Uh I don't know, man. That intro was, uh, I'm more of an asshole than that. So. <laughs> well, yeah. and noted asshole. We can add that. It's just <laughs> fine. Uh, thanks for joining me today, dude. This is uh, exciting. You and I have talked about getting together for a podcast uh, since the podcast first launched, and I really appreciate you taking the time on your Saturday to uh, come hang out with me in my in my adult playroom. Absolutely. It's my privilege, man. I've, I really appreciate it. Well, I, I don't know how you're the one that's privileged because you supplied the booze, which is <laughs> something that you know I've, I've tried to do for a couple different people. And uh, yourself and Seth Milstein both way outdid me with whatever I would bring to the table. Yeah. So, um, of course, we're going to talk about we're having a little happy hour on a Saturday afternoon. And you being a cider distributor, uh, you graced us with some amazing cider from Wildcraft Cider Works. And I'm just going to let you do the honor because you know way more about it than yeah, I do. Yeah. So shameless plug here, but Wildcraft Cider is the company I've worked for for about two and a half years. Um, I'm really proud to work for them, actually, just because of uh, of what they're about. They're the only true, true local cidery. And when, I, and when I say local, there's places that are made in Eugene, but they outsource juice and they bring in fruit from out of state. We only use fruit from the Willamette Valley. Um, all our herbs are, are sourced here, like through Mountain Rose Herbs. We don't outsource anything. We just use natural yeast fermentation. So the way they would have made cider like 100 years ago, just put fruit in a tote, let it ferment, and then press it. That's how we do it. And uh, that's why we're never going to have a mango cider or a pineapple cider. Because if it's not grown here, we're, we're not, not going to use it. Yeah, That's awesome. And, yeah. and what did you bring us to drink today? I just had my first drink of it. And oh my God, that's delicious. So I brought the, our current seasonal, which is the gin blackberry botanical. And what that is, is it's uh, blackberry wine that's been fermented from local blackberries, um, heirloom apples, and blended with heirloom apples, and then fermented in oak gin barrels from Thinking Street Tree Spirits. So you get like... You have that fruit note on the front and then that juniper note on the back. So it's like almost like drinking this weird 
cider gin and tonic hybrid. Yeah, but it really, really is. Dude, and I love gin and tonic. I like I love a really good gin and that that unique taste that you can only get from gin. That's exactly what happened. Like yeah. I was like, is that ginny in the back? And I was like, oh yeah, it says gin right on the bottle. But dude, this is fucking phenomenal. Thank you so much. Well I've never really I've never really been a gin fan. I feel like it's sucking on one of those air freshener trees. But <laughs> gin blended like this makes you a gin. So I I would never go drink a gin and tonic somewhere, but like this, I, I love it. It's one of my favorite seasonal, seasonals that we have, and you were just fortunate enough that it's the seasonal that came out when we're doing this when podcast. When we're doing the podcast, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, dude, look at that. I feel like the lucky one today, so thank you so much. And uh, go check out Wildcraft. Great little spot down there in the, uh, I guess, is that kind of still considered the Whitaker District it down there? It is still considered the Whitaker District down there. Um, we're actually, where we're located is in the old Tactics Warehouse, Tactics Board Shop Warehouse, where right. um, uh, my boss leased that, and um, we have great Thai food in there, and the tasting room, and everything. It's it's yeah, it's a, it's a great spot. My boss Sean Kelly, what he's created is pretty amazing. So. Yeah, and I mean, I know that they were kind of uh, you know contributing to the culture of downtown Eugene before COVID hit because there was a concert series that was going on yeah, down there. Absolutely, um, it's a great place to hang out. Great uh, outdoor hang too, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah we're, yeah, we're one of the few places with a nice, sizable patio as right. well, so that's pretty cool. Well, go down and check out Wildcraft Cider. Um, nobody's paying anybody to say any of that. We're just <laughs> plugging it because it's a really good company. Of course, Josh works there and they make uh, damn fine gin botanical blackberry uh, cider so go check them out um, you know I've got so much different stuff to get to I, I should ask you rather than trying to just go off my list and hope that it falls correctly what are you the most excited about to talk about today is it is it the old bar stories is it the trailblazers are we getting into uh, you know what's going on with you currently like I mean I, we've got a weight loss journey to talk about like you you have a very interesting life and I'm excited I've got all these questions written down but I, I want to give uh, let's do dealer's choice like like what do you think oh uh, you know I'm my life's been crazy like I've done a lot of weird ironic <laughs> things that I think my kid is going to look back on and be like my dad was either fucking awesome or fucking the weirdest person on the planet <laughs> but you know I, I I am because of our history and, and and it's where we met each other I am excited to reminisce about a, like a lot of Taylor stories because I know I listened to this podcast in the past and we've talked about like Don Gong and Taylor's yep but I come at that from a different perspective because I wasn't a comedian. I was. You were working. Working. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, and also the, the Taylor's thing that I'm excited to talk about is just because locally, I don't know how to put this, but locally, people always looked at Taylor's like, oh, God, that shithole campus bar. <laughs> okay. But outside of Eugene. It's looked at as an institution. An institution. It's one of the oldest bars in Eugene. And so, like, I. If I worked anywhere else, I met crazy random famous people that came in to check out Taylor's that I would have never met working anywhere else right. and interactions with them. I mean, like, you know, we can get into this, but I am Twitter follower where he follows me. Damian Lillard follows me on Twitter just because of Taylor's. Just because of Taylor's. And yeah. that's and as crazy of a Blazer fan as you are, yeah. that's a big fucking deal. Oh, uh, uh, when I saw that that morning that he was following me, I marked out. Like, <laughs> I, I, it was like, it was like, I marked out as bad as if like eight-year-old me had met Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> I, it was crazy. And that story was really random because he had tweeted out. This is this was right after he beat the Rockets in the play. So it was that summer. So it was like he was had gone from he's our new star to he's he's the guy. The guy, right. the real deal. And he had come to campus, I guess Patty Patty Mills, he was friend like 
he was doing some sort of Australia relief for wildfire things, and he was doing it with different universities throughout. Well, he had, had come to U of O to do it, and Damian Loder went down to support. And okay. I just saw some tweet. I was getting ready to go to work, and I saw some tweet from Damian Lillard that said, hey, Eugene, I'm on your campus, and he's filming himself and says, what's good? And so I tweeted him back and just went, hey, I happen to manage this bar on campus called Taylor's, and you should come check it out. I'll, I'll get you and just, you know, not thinking that he would even respond. Right. It was, and it was a random weird, it was like a Tuesday, and it was just like my, which was like my Monday at the time. And I'm sitting there, and there's maybe 50 people in the bar, but I have a bouncer or somebody, one of the bouncers comes to me and goes, there's somebody asking for you at the door. And I went, okay, I'm busy. And they go, no, they're really asking for you. You should come check this out. <laughs> and so I come out and there's Damian Lillard going, yo, my cousin doesn't have his ID. And the door guy won't let us in. You, you, you tweeted me. Is oh my cool? God. Is this cool? Not only is it Damian Lillard asking you that, but yeah. it's that question, which is like a bar manager's worst nightmare, yeah. right? And I'm sort of, but the thing is, is normally I'd be like, there's no bend. I don't know. The fanboy me was like, absolutely. And the bouncer's, the bouncer's like, no, we can't. I go, fuck you. He's coming in. I will fire you yeah. right now. <laughs> and the owner backed me up 100% after the fact. Yeah. But it was so weird. He came in and within, because of that, the power of social media, yep. we went from 50 people to like packed like a Friday night just wow. because he On came in. On a Tuesday. In. Yeah. And his handler, like it was, his handler was an Adidas guy and he's the one that paid the whole thing. And I, I, didn't fanboy out. I didn't do anything. All I did was, was at the end of the day, as he's walking out, I stopped him and said, Dame, I want to thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you coming and shook his hand. And then after that, the next thing I know, I get this notification that he's following me on Twitter. And being this big blazer mark that I am, I probably peed my pants. Yeah, I just know. lost it just a little <laughs> bit. It's totally okay. Yeah, and, he's still, and I still have to check Twitter occasionally now and then just to see, yep, yeah, he's still following yeah. me. I don't know. <laughs> Dude, and I think it's okay for, as grown men, sometimes you have that, like, that hesitancy that you can still be that big of a fan of another grown man, you know, and I, Jim Rome, who's on, on the, you know, sports talk radio, he says it all the time. Like I'll never wear another man's Jersey. Give me the fucking Jersey. I'll wear all of them. <laughs> like I want this guy, and, and, you know, for college football games. Like I tell all my friends, like this is how big of a fan I am. I'm not wearing this Jersey to support the team. I'm wearing it. If everybody goes down and they need help out there, I'm going out there to sacrifice my skin, you know, and it's just a stupid joke. But when it comes to professional athletes, not, on that college level anymore that name and likeness gets so big and their their impact gets so big on society that like if jerry rice walked up these goddamn stairs right now i would pass out and fall into my drum set <laughs> i mean same thing you know travis barker dave grohl like you can name a th yeah, I, there's a handful of people and i think that's okay especially if you can be gracious and at least control yourself for the moment that you're face to face with them if you have a little bit of a, of a fall apart moment, then 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 things are getting a little bit out of hand. But uh, I, I think you probably did good, man. If he's still following you on Twitter, you yeah. didn't scare him that much. D yeah, Dave rolls on that list for me too. I yeah. follow <laughs> you know, but you know, I have a rule, a jersey rule though. It's just weird, even though I'm a big Damian Lillard Blazer guy, I have this rule where I won't wear a jersey of anybody younger than me. Okay, so I always wear anything I wear is throwbacks, and that's one thing. Is through we can get into this later, but I've had season tickets for the Blazers for years, and I'm happy that I got to meet what I call the original six, all, yeah. all of them. So, so when I was a kid, you know, the championship runs of, you know, Drexler, Kersey, Porter, Buck Williams, Duckworth, and Clifford Robinson, I've gotten to meet all of them. And that's like bucket list shit right there for yeah. a Blazer fan, you know, right. that. And, um, yeah, so that, that, that in itself was, is an amazing thing that I, you know, and I have picture documentation and everything. I'm meeting all those guys and it's 
That's a pretty amazing thing. That's for me. amazing, dude. Yeah. Kevin Duckworth bought a Mercedes Benz from my cousin when he was working up at Mercedes Benz Portland. Wow. And he had him sign a card for me. And then it was probably, I don't know, like four or five years later. You'd probably be better at this timeline than that. But then Kenny Anderson. Yeah. Bought a Mercedes from my cousin. So I have a signed Kenny Anderson and a signed Kevin Duckworth card. And that's about as close as I ever came. I, I got to see him. My first ever professional sports experience was uh, the Portland Trail Blazers against the Utah Jazz at the uh, Memorial Coliseum on New Year's Day in, I think, 92. Wow. I mean, so it was, you know, it was Stockton and Malone and Hornacek and all those guys that you already mentioned. And just, uh, you know, that's the t- that's how you build a fan. Like, it, you know, we went there, we had that experience. And then a couple years later, I got to high five Kenny Anderson as he walked out of the tunnel, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, been a lifelong Blazer fan ever since. Can't play basketball worth a shit. Only 5'9". Terrible jump <laughs> shot. No handles. But I love the Portland Trail Blazers for that reason. What was the thing that got you to that point with the Blazers because like you said season ticket holder for that many years you've invested a proper amount of money in that team well I backed into my season tickets first of all so my <laughs> my, uh, my brother uh he my, god bless him he I'm even though I think that I've done pretty well for myself out of all my siblings I am the like considered the poorest I don't do well <laughs> all my siblings have done es- exponentially better than me so my brother got these season tickets and he lives in Roseburg and he got them and he would drive to oh, just... Oh, God. That's a three-hour, one-way yeah, trip. Yeah, but he would drive to just... He got him just so he would be guaranteed the really good games, and he would just bag the rest of them, or he'd give me some of the garbage. And so I'd, I'd get these free tickets. Well, he got them in, I want to say, God, it was pre-Brandon Roy. It was like 2004 or five, mm-hmm. and it was the Jailblazers, and they were giving tickets away. So season tickets at that time, they were like... Where my seats were, like 200-level halfway up season tickets. It I was paying like 175 a month for a pair of tickets. Like it was wow. It was and they were and that was common because they couldn't fans had given up on that team because yeah. the Jailblazers and and they were were not selling tickets. So they were well, offering, just kept trying to fly with weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, yeah, in aluminum foil taped yeah, to their leg like exactly. a dumbass. Um but but my brother it got to where it was too taxing on him. He just you know, giving me tickets, but he was started figuring out he was losing money. Right. So he was going to get rid of them. And his season ticket liaison goes, you know, like these prices. Because at this point, Brandon Roy had showed up. Okay. And I was at the game against Houston when Brandon Roy had that big shot. And so all of a sudden, tick, it, it's funny how one shot makes ticket prices start going up. They're like, oh, now we got people invested. Right. But when Greg Oden's entire body was made of glass, <laughs> they didn't knock anything off the no, price end, did no. they? No it, no, it took a bunch of felonies and dogfighting <laughs> and pedophilia to make prices go down. It's amazing um, how that works. Yeah. <laughs> so my brother uh, was talking to a season ticket liaison. He was like, you know, because he just wasn't getting into any games and it didn't make any sense. Even though he made enough money, it was like, you know, it doesn't make any sense for me to keep them. And she goes, well, if you have somebody to transfer them to, they'll grandfather you in this price because. Oh, wow. Yes. So for 10 years, I paid like a third of what the guy sitting next to me paid. And <laughs> that's why I kept it. it yeah. And I just happened to like, now I couldn't do it. Now with my job, I couldn't do it. But I worked in bars where I was managing bars and I made my own schedule. Right. So, so you just take out the blazer schedule and put it next to yours. And yeah. Just line I'll them up. work every other day around it and I get to go, you know, and I'll go and, and his tickets also, it was, it, it was on the club level. So it included like food and. Oh, drink. wow. So, I mean, alcohol, like I didn't, 
didn't have to spend yeah. all that extra stadium money. And they just grandfathered it. And then the last two years that I had them, they finally went, okay, enough of this bullshit. We're not letting you pay this cheap price anymore. And I still kept them for a couple of years, but it got a little more difficult because at that point, before that, when they were so cheap, if I was going to miss a game, I didn't worry about trying to sell them. Now it's like if I miss a game. You're trying to move those things. Move them. Yeah. And, and the last year that I gave them up is is a year where – you know, we were just barely going to make the playoffs, and just the the value of somebody wanting to nab those tickets was just not, and it was just came taxing and sure, and so I, you know, reluctantly got rid of them, and it ended a long era of me, you know, we'll get into this, but dressing like a gorilla. Yeah, and, I mean, we might as well look. I've got Taylor's written down, and we will get back to that yeah. for people that that uh, know and love Taylor's in the days of old. We've got more stories than you want to hear about that place, and probably stories that won't make you feel as good about it after we're done telling you, or the people that used to frequent it at least. Um, so we'll get to Taylor's, but let's let's talk about that. You were the Trailblazers gorilla, like you were a dude that we would see on TV. Like I'd be watching the local broadcast, and they would go to a crowd shot, and there you would be with your gorilla mask on. You had a sign. You were always just a, a super involved fan. Did they make any type of, like, uh, well, obviously concession wasn't something that they made, but did they try to make an attempt to keep you there as such an involved fan that people knew? They did. At, at the end, they did. Um, because I've heard that I've heard a lot of professional sports teams for those guys, and you see those guys. There's like the dude at the Raiders games with the spikes on his shoulders, and there's the duck nut at, at Otson. You know, those guys. If you get to that point, free throw guy, right? I yeah. bet you free throw guy probably had that, even though he annoyed the shit out of me. Well, that, that's the, I was just gonna talk about free throw guy <laughs> because I, what I considered myself was the poor man's free throw guy because I was in the 200 level. Okay, so right. what I was. It, the, the weird thing about me is that guys like Free Throw Guy, he's sounds so low, he's going to be on TV all the time no matter what. They would put me on TV, but they'd have to go out of their way to f- spot me because I'm don't. i not in the, Right there so, on the floor. Yeah, yeah and I, it's funny I because uh, I always had the girl in the mask. I always had a different sign, and I would have got to the point where I'd have like uh, team liaisons come up to me and go, yeah, just so you know, we can't put you on with that sign. Because <laughs> being a little too clever. Because I toe the, I toe the line with my. And what one that one sign that I did that they came up and I was just totally perplexed is you know how the box of Mike and Ike's has a Mike and Ike's original fruits. Right. I transposed Mike and Mike's face on it. Mike and announcers. Mike who used to be the announcer. Yeah, Mike Rice Blazers, and right. Mike Barrett, and it said Mike and Mike the original, but it was just the package because it said original fruits. They came up there and like like you, we we can't have you gay bashing, and I'm like, <laughs> what? I go the package says original. Like I didn't add that. You're gay bashing yeah, Portland. Yeah, I'm like I didn't add that to it. Like why, what? <laughs> who do you think? Yeah. I am? <laughs> So, oh, that's great. That's a great story. So, but they did try to be like they saw that you were leaving, they, and they're like, "Come they, on, they man. did." And and you know, I kind of lied to them just because I I needed to pull it off like a band aid. And the more they kept coming at me to try to get me to keep them, the more I was like, "I'm gonna end up keeping these fucking tickets," and I. It's not worth it to me. I told him, I got a job transfer. I'm moving to Montana or some bullshit. So, yeah, so they just get yeah. him off your back. I think I said Colorado. <laughs> so then I'm like, oh, well, anytime they left an open. Anytime you want to come back, we can get you season tickets. And, you know, that that's cool. Thing, so that's cool. And it's probably the right thing to do because it's not like they hire bad salespeople for those uh, positions yeah. and they have a really good product, which is Portland Trailblazer season tickets. You're not going to be let down even if it's a bad year. You well, know? yeah. And also, I kind of, I, I'm one of the weird people that, for whatever reason, I made out like a pig and shit it, it, with COVID. Like it's like I, everything happened for a reason because, like a lot of these people that I know, I still talk to season ticket holders. They kept having to pay to keep secure their tickets through COVID, and right. 
you know, I mean, I got out of all that. I mean, I've continued to work through the whole thing. Um, you know, you know, a lot of these people will get these stimulus checks and they, you know, they needed it to live. I got right. a stimulus check. And I'm like, oh, I can pay off my credit card. You know, like that, that. It just everything worked out. COVID was awful, but on a personal level, on my family, right. everything worked out for me. And, and you know, it's funny, dude, because I. It, I'm unemployed right now, but I, I say the same thing. Things are better for my wife at her job now than they've ever been. Not because they don't have to deal with all the COVID bullshit. There's, they get, you know, checked by ocean, all the rest of them too. But you know, she's been one of the people that weathered the storm and survived it. Um, the year leading up to COVID, I was making more than I ever had before, before I kind of jumped off the ship and decided to pursue this. And I got snapped at once by one of my very close friends because I was taught I was we were in a Zoom call like mid COVID when everybody was at the height of their lunacy and everybody had been locked down and I kind of popped off I was like I, just, I don't know why everybody's freaking out it's been a great year for me and I was kind of tongue in cheek but I was also being serious because it has been a good year and you know he kind of he kind of threw that back in my lap and I was like okay and then I, I talked to another friend about it and I was like okay. It, it's okay to feel that way, but it's definitely smart to think like you just were like, I know it hasn't been good for everyone. Yeah. I know that this has been a real shit year wall to wall for a large swath of people, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't so murderously bad for everyone. And there, that is, there's a glimmer of hope to be found there too, like a silver lining to the cloud. If there are, I mean, look, there's two people sitting in the same room having the same conversation. That means that there's a lot of other people out there that did better than they thought they were going to coming out of 2020. And and I think that, you know, that's okay. It's, it's not, it's not something that you shouldn't feel bad because things went good for you, but it's okay to feel good because things went yeah. good for you I, too. I don't feel bad. I feel blessed. Yeah. There you go. I mean, cause I, I feel like for every one of us, that, that didn't take a big hit, there's four or five people that are struggling to pay rent right now. So. Yeah, or lost a family member yeah. or something like that. Um, you know, it's you're right. It's it's literally different in every household, yeah. and, I, and that's hard to wrap your head around sometimes, you know. Um, but, okay, so we've got Portland Trailblazers out of the way. As much as I want to talk about COVID... Um, <laughs> oh, no, I, yeah, that's Debbie Downer here. Yeah, but yeah, who did you bring on your podcast? It, it is interesting, <laughs> though, because talking about the Blazers and talking about COVID, there was uh, Damian Lillard was one of the most outspoken people. Um, for people that aren't from Oregon might be listening to this show, a week or, yeah, about a week ago, our governor came out and said, hey, we're locking down 15 states again. That meant essentially no indoor dining, um, you know, gyms back down to like six people or something. Very, very heavy restrictions. Um, it was supposed to be for two weeks. There was a massive backlash. Part of it led by Damian Lillard. He tweeted out that uh, the Blazers are going to be the only team in the NBA this year without fans in the stands. And uh, I think that that influence, coupled with a, a change.org position that had, or a petition that had her name on it, I think kind of influenced the governor a little bit maybe to rethink things. And she did. And there were Trailblazer fans in the building during last night's game against the Lakers for the first time in over a year. And a Laker fan, which was bullshit. Oh, my God. I, 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 <laughs> dude, my thumbs were on fire. And, of course, like I, I, you know, it was Friday, so I had a couple pops a little bit early, and I sat down to watch the Blazer game with dinner. And the first time that they zoom in on uh, Anthony Davis's big fucking eyebrow and cleft you know, forehead – I see right over his left shoulder a bright yellow trailblazer or bright yellow uh, Lakers jersey, and I just fucking lost it because it's the first game that there's fans in there. That I think there's, what, like 1,000 or 1,800? Something like that, It's yeah. a very small amount of fans, 
And the one that I can see on TV right off the bat is a Laker fan. And I wanted the, the Blazer fan that was sitting next to this gal to push her off the balcony because it pissed me off so bad. And, and I told you, this is kind of my take on it. I don't think from a business perspective this holds up at all. So don't expect the, the Blazers to ever do this. But, like, if you were going to sit in an owner's box, if you are, you know, you're a Tennessee Titans fan. Yeah. Let's say that uh, that Jerry Jones calls you up. Josh LaRoe wants you to come sit in the Cowboys Stadium and watch the Cowboys. You're wearing... Blue and white. You're not wearing Titans gear. You're not even. You might wear the colors, but you're wearing them because you're gonna conf- you're gonna sit in Jerry's box. That's like a very, it's like a very very special thing. Would you wear your Titans colors? No, I wouldn't wear Cowboys, but I think I'd wear what I'm wearing now. Right, just, <laughs> yeah, just neutral streetwear. Yeah, you're just streetwear. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sacrilege to wear another team. Like it always drives me nuts when I see people that are like, oh, I have this guy that I, that I knew that always came in. And he'd have, he was a Red Sox fan, but he'd always be wearing all these different baseball caps. And he's like, oh, well, this one matches my clothes. I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> like, you cannot wear a Yankees hat because it matches your clothes, you fucking asshole. Like, that's, I'm just sports, I think like that. Right. All, so, all but, the time. but you're also not going to, you're respectful enough to not go into somebody else's house with that stuff on if you've been invited. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is what I saw. Like, it was two ladies sitting together. One of them was wearing Portland stuff, the other one was wearing Lakers stuff. You are two of a thousand people that got invited to come to that stadium on that night and you somehow in your right mind thought you were going to cheer on the Lakers, burn in hell. So and for all the Blazers sitting around that weren't throwing popcorn at her, <laughs> fuck you too. Like, what the hell? This is, I mean, uh, I look, it really got under my skin, I think, because it's the first time any fans have been allowed in there. And if I was a door guy, like if I was a blue coat at the Rose Garden, I'd put my finger in your chest and be like, you're not coming in here with that color on, well, you know? What upsets me about that the most is because I know, being a season ticket holder for so long, I know that it was only tenured season ticket holders that were allowed in there. So that person wearing a Laker jersey, it means that either a season ticket holder brought her or a season ticket holder scalped his tickets. Uh, and, on the one, the first yeah, game back and, in and over And both year. of that is like, that person doesn't deserve to be a season ticket holder. That's, That's like, right, yeah. the team should reevaluate, like, what the, you know. I mean, here's the deal. I get schedule conflicts and it was short, you know, time frame to schedule getting into the game. Even if they couldn't get into the game, do more research on who you sell it to. Like, exactly. I, I have a story of, like, I had a playoff tickets. It was, fuck, man. Uh, I want to say it was, like, Blazers, Spurs. It was Blazers Mavericks because it was it was the series where Brandon Roy came back after being injured and scored yeah, like I was at, I was yeah. at that game where we came back huge yeah so I had but I had a playoff game like one of the games I couldn't make it to and I drove all the way to uh, almost Portland it was the uh, the exit with the, the the truck stops and the 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 Popeyes chicken oh yeah, yeah Aurora Donald Aurora Donald exit and I met this guy who I had. Texted with, oh, he's a huge Blazer fan, huge Blazer fan. He comes in to meet me wearing a Kobe jersey, and I'm like, nope. And he was like, <laughs> fuck, like pissed. And I'm like, I'm not doing no. Because first of all, everybody knows the gorillas is there. I go, all of a sudden, I'd rather eat the money on these tickets. If, if a, a, they showed up and a Laker fan was sitting there, I wouldn't. Die, yeah, right? The, yeah, the, just the, the, the gorilla would be no more. Like, yeah. Like, you could, you could, you could, dress, you could dress in drag and nobody would care what, about you anymore. Yeah, like it's I, Portland. You'd yeah. fit in really well. It's probably. So, uh, yeah. So, so when I see season, season ticket holders do stuff like that, it just 
gets under your skin, and it, and it should. Because, I, but this is one of the things that highlights pro sports fans is that there's two different types of season ticket holders in my mind. There's rabid fans like yourself and myself. You know, I I season ticket holder at Autzen Stadium um, for Ducks football, and and I go there to watch the game and to scream as loud as I can because I feel like I'm the twelfth part of that team yeah. and I'm going to help them win. Then there's like the Kentucky Derby season ticket holders that are like, let's put on a fancy hat and yep. go to the basketball game tonight. And it's like, I, you know what? Somebody should smash a glass of champagne on your face for that because this is a place where we come to drink cheap beer, eat pretzels, and get nasty with people, you know? I've always said if you could take the 300-level fans and flip-flop them with the 100-level fans, we'd win every game. Yeah, it's true. the 100-level fans are there to be seen. It's like a, a, a trendy... Social you know, thing. Social thing. You're like, I want to look hot on TV. I don't give, you know, I'm not even a bas- basketball or a football fan. The 300 level fans are the ones that are paying, you know, where they could get a better view from their home on TV, but they just want to be there. <laughs> yep. And they're, you know, buying $15 tickets and they're rowdy and they're the loudest of the ones starting the cheering. Those are the, those are the diehard rabid fans. And if they were allowed at the 100 level, they would just obliterate like heckling you talk about heckling that's <laughs> oh it'd be malice in the palace every night dude. yeah that's probably why they have to do that like it, look the guy that can afford the 15 dollar ticket will fight someone if he's on the floor yeah. we have to put him up oh, yeah. in the 300 level you know yeah. the, i got i got a really good i got a really good th- this uh, story of as far as the gorilla goes and like even though i was on the 200 level i would always go to a visiting team shoot around mm-hmm. like before the game with my sign and, and i was a heckler i would heckle like <laughs> but i would do it respectfully and I'd get, I was, I always loved it when I get reaction from opposing players, but I had complete, you know, and I feel bad for this now, rest in peace, but I had complete vitriol for Kobe. Like I would just let Kobe Bryant have it. I would like, like you know, never say anything to cross the line, but I'd sure. always just yell at him. Like, you know, nothing he'd never heard nothing. before. And he never, never like some, I get some players to turn around and laugh or respond. He never broke, never broke. The last, my last season of having season tickets was his last season as a as, as a, a Laker, Laker. Or playing in or the played. league period, yeah. and he was down there, and I something was kind of bittersweet about, you know, because Blazers had a lot of success at the Rose Garden, or I always called the Rose Garden, but Moda against the Lakers, like for whatever reason, that was a tough place for Kobe to, to win. Mm-hmm. And I went down with a sign and I was heckling him, and he wasn't wasn't acknowledging me, and I finally went, "Yeah, I'm gonna miss hating you." And he turned around and goes, "I'm gonna miss you hating me too." <laughs> How awesome. Yeah. And I was like, oh, all of a sudden this guy, like, I don't even like Kobe, but I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fanboy, he talked to me. Like, what's like, you know, and that was just a crazy, crazy. I, I was like the whole game. I was kind of floating. Like, I don't yeah. even know. <laughs> but that's why you do it. I mean, it's, it's, there's those kind of moments that you can get from being a season ticket holding fan. And that goes for every sport. I don't care if you're at a NASCAR race screaming and the people next to you can't hear you. There's a moment that you might have there. That's just going to be so fucking awesome. I I mean, and, and really, you have to be there. And that's, I think, the, the same thing that the 300-level and the 100-level courtside guy know is like, yep. look, I might be going to this game for different reasons than the guy sitting next to me, but I have to be there all the same, yeah. you know? And, um, I, dude, look, we'll never be short on talking sports in the man room. I know there hasn't been a lot of podcasts where we've talked about it. I've had a lot of comedians in, but I'll talk st- – fucking sports like nobody's business. I don't know if I'll be right about any of it, but I love to talk sports. I mean, I've got a bunch of goddamn figurines over there and like footballs and shit on my on my desk. So I, I'm so happy to 
get some of the like behind the curtain for the for the Portland State or the Portland Trailblazers gorilla stories because while we've talked about a lot and I've even gone to a game with you before yeah. we haven't uh, we haven't actually sat down and really talked about some of the uh, you know the intricacies of of being that dude and um, I hope to see you back sometime uh, you know I this Damian Lillard era. I, I wonder how the team's going to look next year because things have gotten a little bit dicey here. And all of a sudden last night you get a few fans in the stadium. All of a sudden they start to play defense out of nowhere and they beat the Lakers on their home court. And it's like, okay, that's what I'm used to seeing from a chip on your shoulder, Damian Lillard squad. Like where's yeah. that been all year? How do you feel about that? I, you know, as a fan, it's like, I'm I, I, I kind of frustrated a little bit. Like why isn't this going all the time? Why does it take a fire lit under your ass to start playing like that? But I've always said that Damian Lillard, in all of sports, in my opinion, is the the best team leader. Yeah. Like, he can flip a switch, get pissed off, light his team up, and they respond. It's not like there's certain players in the league that, you know, you light them up like school children, and they're going to shut down and be like, fuck you. I'm not. Yeah, and other ones where it's just all talk. Yeah. They so, can act lit yeah. up, but they don't change anything. But Dame is, I guess, is it shows he's garnered respect from his team. Yeah. And, um, but as a Blazer fan, the one thing that's really frustrating is I can think of two times maybe in history, like maybe Isaiah Thomas. Oh, yeah. Where, where a 6'2 point guard was your best player on a championship team. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a tough task. Steve and Nash maybe? Steve Nash maybe, yeah. It's a tough, tough task to – you know, I want to see a championship in my lifetime, and I hate these super teams, but the way these super teams are building themselves around, I think that Damon CJ need that third yeah, they need a megastar. They, they do. They need a six seven guy that, that can go out there and run through some people. And you're seeing that a little bit from Norman Powell. Yeah. He's a really athletic guy, but he also doesn't really have the size. He's but not I mean that big. they need what the Blazers need is they need a Carmelo Anthony ten years ago. <laughs> That's what they need. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Like if we if we got that, that Yeah. yeah. Put yeah. it away. Yeah, yeah, put it away. Well, uh, you know what? If you're out there listening, Damian Lillard, because I know you probably are listening because you follow Josh on Twitter. <laughs> so, um, look, dude, we love to watch you start the fire. And we love, last night, even Eugene got a shout-out on the broadcast because he pulled up from one, oh, like, yeah. at half court. And the guy's like, Damian from Eugene. And I'm sitting there like, yeah! Why is there a Laker fan in the building? You know? <laughs> I think as Blazer fans, though, we've got to appreciate witnessing greatness because this yep. is a, a you know a once in a generational talent. Um, I mean, I I used to feel that way about Drexler, but he kind of burned me with the whole rocket the, thing, the Houston thing, yeah, yeah, Houston thing. So he's kind of like. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things where he went back there, and and, and look, I know that we've been talking sports or basketball at length now, and we'll get to the Taylor stuff because right. that's the juicy shit. But he, you know, Drexler was from Houston. He went to the University of Houston, and then he went back to play for the Houston Rockets and finished his career. So it was like, ah, I, I wish he would have stayed for one more year because it was looking like that one year is what we might have needed. You know, that, Clyde for that's not what bugged me with Clyde. Like I get going home. I mean, same thing I got with Lamarcus when he went back to Texas. It was when he got inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame and he went in as a rocket. As a rocket, yeah. And that was uh, a, that was a hometown thing too. But it's still a shitty thing yeah. to do to us Blazers. And then he took know? a job as a liaison for the Houston Rockets and he played for them for two seasons. I yeah, mean, I, I was. I don't know, you know, but I... Uh, <laughs> well, I, here, let the, you can hold this against him. When he was 27 years old, he looked like he was 56. So, that's... <laughs> and now, it, uh, also, it doesn't look like he's aged a day since he was 27 yeah. years old, but he's still, I mean... And I'll give him a pass, because at least he didn't get a 15-year-old pregnant like Carl Malone, so... There you go, there you go. <laughs> and he could pull the shorty shorts yeah, off, man. Yeah. There's only so many people that can do it. 
Um, you know, I, I'm going to Vegas here in a month, and I went board short shopping the other day. What the fuck is up with the short shorts, man? I do not go to the pool so people can see my goddamn thighs. Yeah, and guys, guys, it's short shorts, and women, it's mom jeans. Now, all of a sudden, I'm like, what the fuck is that? I'm like, I don't, like, like you have pants pulled up to the uh, right under your breasts. Yeah, you know? it's almost like 2020 just took a leaf blower to to culture and, uh. and like pop uh, pop culture and just blew it all over the and map. I, and I sound like a total old man, but like the big giant painted on eyebrows. Now I'm like, I'm. Makes me mad because I'm jealous. I can't even grow hair on my head. <laughs> well, we are old. Uh, that's part of, of growing up. And uh, you and I met a while back, as you said, at the off the top of the show. Um, we met at uh, Taylor's Bar and Grill where I was first just uh, another college kid that you probably were annoyed with more times than one before we actually were introduced to each other. Um for, for me, my Taylor's experience used to be Taylor's was a part of a, of a little thing that we used to call Double Up Club. Because um, on Wednesday nights at Taylor's, they had dollar beers because you guys were trying to work through all your kegs oh, yeah. and get rid of the kegs and, and refill kegs for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the big push. So Wednesday night from, I think it was 8 to 10 maybe, you guys would just do $1 beer and it was whatever kind you had on tap. You could get it for a buck. And we would go down there and we would drink our faces off on $1 beers. And then from 10 to midnight at a little bar that is also no longer existent called John Henry's, they used to do $1 wells. And so our, our double up club at like 21, oh, 22, Jesus 23 years Christ. old was to go <laughs> just get rattled at Taylor's and then bebop across town on foot all the way downtown and go to John Henry's and drink well liquor until well after midnight. So, um, you know, I have I have those memories. Uh, sang a shitload of karaoke at Taylor's. That was a Tuesday night deal. Yeah. I spent a good majority of my week at Taylor's. There was a... a, a I mean, a stint where I was also working for the radio show when when we were uh, acquainted, where I lived at 16th and Mill, which for people that don't know, it's about three blocks and then two more blocks, and you're at Taylor's. And that's way too close for a guy that likes booze like me to live to a bar like Taylor's. That because, has dollar beers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and always something going on. It's just it is. If it was if it was Tuesday, well, Monday night, it was either Donk Gong Comedy or Monday Night Football. Mm -hmm. Tuesday night, we're singing karaoke. Wednesday night, it's dollar beers. Thursday night, I think, was dollar wells, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. No, that was Tuesday. That was with karaoke. Yeah, d yeah. and then it was $2 wells on Thursday, I believe. Yes, exactly. And then whatever reason friday night was oh three dollar amfs in long island's like that was a great idea <laughs> and you pushed them out dude yeah. and, i mean so the thing about taylor's that some people don't get because eugene is a small place there were more what you might consider famous people there than what than probably any place else in eugene especially during big college football years and big oregon ducks athletes years because not only do those guys drink there but then they get drafted and then they come back yeah. with a lot of money in their pocket and an entourage and everything like that. Um, you know, I met Dennis Dixon down there, which I thought was one of the nicest guys I've ever met as far as, pro, you know, real high-class athletes go. Tried to buy him a drink. It was Halloween, and I was dressed up as the uh, commissioner for the More Taste League, Miller Lite commercials. You remember <laughs> I that? remember those, yeah. I had a three-piece suit on and everything, and I went to the bar, and I was like, hey, commissioner, More Taste League, I'd love to buy you a beer. And he's like, I don't drink. And I was like, cool, can we just talk for a minute? And he's like, yeah. And I just sat there and kind of chatted football with him. Um, you know, and, and I know that that goes on a lot, too. And I'm sure you have some stories about guys that, quote, don't drink, but uh, get pulled out of, their, of that bar on their lips. Uh, another experience that I had, uh, the night that Jeremiah Masoli and all of his cronies decided to steal a bunch of laptops and stuff for a party, um, I was in line to get into Taylor's. There's two lines to get into Taylor's. There was the line that you got in if you knew the door guy, and yeah. there was the line that everybody else got in. And uh, Jeremiah Masoli was right behind me in the I know the door guy line. 
And uh, door guy, I come up to him. We've got my hood on because it was raining. He says, take the hood off. And I was like, it's pouring down rain. Can I just take it off when I get inside? He goes, no, take the hood off. So I take my hood off. And he's like, cameras have to see your face. You know, I'm like, I'm here all the time. Like, if I did something, the guy behind the bar is going to come out and call me by my first name. Fuck, you know, and he still wouldn't let me go. Right in behind me walks Jeremiah Masoli with a hood pulled way, way down over his eyes. Like, I might say criminally far (laughs) down over his eyes. And that night, uh, they let him in with the hood on. He got to wear his hood the whole time. That night was the night that he went and stole a bunch of laptops. They actually used some of that footage from the bar to prove that he was where he was, saying he was and wasn't and all that. Wow. And so, you know, that's the kind of bar it was, though. As you went down there, even as an even as an everyday patron, you never knew the type of night you were about to get into when you went to Taylor's. Yeah. And, um, dude, you saw, like I said, you saw more of that place than anybody else that I know. So... I know you've been Rolodexing some stories for me. Uh, what what one comes to your mind first? Like, if you had to tell your quintessential Taylor story that nobody would believe unless they were there. What? Okay, so I have Taylor stories that are, like, on a personal level, and I have Taylor stories that are, like, involving just ridiculous, like, I can't believe I just saw that with students. One of them, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm, I'm far enough removed from working there now that I you know, there's no repercussions of this, but well, it doesn't exist anymore. No, right? So there's, there's no, no, it sadly it doesn't. And and maybe mm. we should, before we get into it. So bookmark that story in your head. Cause okay. I know it's going to be a good one, but we should go on and say like, Josh didn't work at Taylor's during the days that Taylor's that sunk Taylor's. Okay. Yes. You were at Taylor's when it was a very respected yeah. establishment. It was owned by a completely different group of people yes. at that time. Good people that I know personally and you know personally, and um, not people that would allow things to happen at their bar like we're going on when Taylor's got shut down. And if you don't know about it, there's no reason for us to get into it here. Go Google it. Yeah. You can find it. It's out there. We're not talking about those Taylor's days. We're talking about a generation removed from that when Josh and I still had hair on top and, of and, our heads. Well, and I, I fucking, I kind of fucking hate that that happened with Taylor's just because now it's, I spent 11 years of my life, but it's like a black mark on a resume to even put it because of what happened. And like I said, like you said, Google it. We're not going into it. Right. <laughs> but it had nothing to do with me. No, no. You're um, a very respectable person and yeah. very, very well-respected yeah. bar professional around yeah. the entire city. So, yeah. so uh, it was a perfect storm of the years I worked at Taylor's because I worked there through both national championships and we just all of a sudden garnered all this attention. And I, I'm, like I said, I, on the top of this, I met people that I would have never met working anywhere else. And I mean, if you still to this day, if you go Google, uh, Auburn university of Oregon national championship intro, the intro before that, that national championship, that game, they, Show me. They interview me. Me and Frog, of all people. Oh, God, Frog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's but, also an institution in but, Eugene. So they just came in. ESPN <laughs> walked in. ESPN walked in and was like, I just happen to be working. And they're like, hey, can we get your thoughts on some stuff? And I'm like, okay. And they film me asking me questions. And I go, what's this going to be on? They go, I don't know. They just told us to film footage. We don't know what's going to be on. And oh, it was wow. on the intro for the national championship <laughs> game. Like, wish I would have plucked my nose which is, hairs. Which is, which is weird also because of, of my Oregon State connection. I have Oregon State fan fr- or friends that I went to school with. They're like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> you know, but I don't have that. I, I was friends with Oregon players. Like, I don't have that yeah. disdain. Plus, plus, we use the term Oregon State. I played for Oregon State loosely. Like, I got was a tackling dummy. I never really played. So. <laughs> hey, but you had a jersey, yeah. man. That's more yeah. than I can say. Yeah. And I got th- and I got I got three years of a four year college paid for. That was it. <laughs> there you go, man. You got something yeah. out of it. Um, but the one story that comes to mind that involves uh, uh, students and 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 the funny thing about Taylor's was the the clientele. 
even though they're old enough to drink, they were still kids. They were oh, still yeah. naive. And it was the one bar where I called it a training bar, where they came in in the fall term. They didn't know how to act in a bar. And you had to be like a parent. Right. You, you had to be like, hey. And you, sometimes you had to be mean and like, you know, there would be lines of people at the bar and you had to train them because the first month or two, like nobody tipped. And so you'd have to train them like, oh, this kid tipped. He could be five people back. What do you want? What? And you, and then by spring term, you're making money hand over fist because you've trained them all. And then you go through the summer and you have to do it all over again. Right. So when I, my point is the naivety of these kids. I had this kid come in and, and there's a lot of foreign exchange students that use their parents' credit card and had a lot of money. And it was dark and this kid's like, I want to buy, f- f- for whatever pe- round of people at the bar, it was like 50 or 60 tequila shots, well tequila shots for everybody. And oh I'm my like, God. Oh. Well, it was dark and I have my well set up in a certain order. And at some point I had transposed the tequila with the triple sec. Oh. And so I poured him like 60 shots of triple sec. And he came back and was like, well, that's awesome. It's like orange flavored tequila. Let's get more of those. And the funny thing was, is the only liquor that we did in inventory was triple sec. So every time he'd hand me cash, I'd just throw it right in the tip. <laughs> <laughs> because triple sec ain't making yeah. any money, right? <laughs> but, and he's, they're not getting drunk. So they keep ordering rounds, but they're trying to act drunk like it's some sort of placebo. And uh, <laughs> dude, I, every bartender that night, Bobby made an extra 200 bucks in their pocket just because this kid drank. And his friends drank like three bottles of triple sec. I just kept it rolling. I was like, whatever, if you're dumb enough to do it. I'm sure they just woke up murderous headaches the next day too. Yeah, like, there's some things where I'm like, now now as a dad and stuff, I'm like, oh man, maybe my, but you know, my conscience wasn't as. Uh, yeah, it wasn't as good as it is now. It's like, God, why do I feel like I just ate a five gallon bucket of nerds? Like my head and my stomach. So oh that, my God. So that, that, you know, just that's an example of, of just the naivety of the, they're kids. They you are. Know? They're kids. They are. And and the other thing about kids is they like to um they like to fight. Yeah. And I've seen um you know now this isn't unique to Taylor's at all. If you've been to a bar in a place, you've seen fights like yeah. this. But um one of the most cringy fights that I ever saw happened in there. It was like all of a sudden it was it was tight right in front of the bar. There was a bunch of people, and all of a sudden two guys were going to go at it, and everybody kind of cleared them out almost like an octagon. And they had all this space where there was no tables and they started fighting and one of the guys grabbed the other one and you might have even been there this night. I don't know, but he took the dude down onto his back and the guy and, and basically was mounted on him full mount and he reared back to hit the guy right in the face against the wood floor in there and the dude just tipped his head and he punched the fucking floor so hard Oof. that it sounded like a two by four snapped. I mean, and he just, he hit it and immediately started screaming and the fight was over. And I never saw the guy's hand. I don't know what happened to it, but I was like, you know, that's why you think twice about fighting because you were way in the lead. That's you could have done it. You could have given that guy wet willies until he passed <laughs> out. You chose to throw one punch that ended the fight for you. And, uh, but I, I saw some crazy soirees happen at that bar. Um, I don't know if he'd be happy with me telling the story, but I'm going to Tanner one time. He and I were at the bar uh, waiting to get a drink and, and he's was not patient that night. And uh, this, this chick and her boyfriend kind of fought her way in front of us. And they were, they were on the bar leaning on it just like we were, but they were between the bartender and us. So it kind of felt like they kind of weaseled in where they shouldn't have. So already a little pissy. And, uh, Tanner was trying to just talk and actually be friendly like he normally is. And the girl was being just a bitch to him and wouldn't give him the time of day. And the guy was just kind of, you know, not really paying attention. 
And the bartender comes and he's starting to go to Tanner and he stops and it wasn't you. He stops and he looks at the girl. And this was one of the people that like, we felt like if we, if it had, it had been you, this would have never happened because you would have come to us first. Cause you know, we tip you and you know, we're, we're yeah. good, good customers. He went to the girl first, got her her well drink. And, and of course we've been drinking too. So sometimes people pop off at the mouth and Tanner just said, Oh yeah. Uh, it must be because you're pretty or something that, uh, that you got served before me. And, um, she gave him like a real snarky answer that I don't remember verbatim, but he's like, well, I was just kidding. You're not that pretty. And she, <laughs> she rears back and tosses this drink at him, brand new cranberry vodka. And he just like in this sea of people, he just matrix dodges this whole drink and it goes right over him and behind me. And then he comes back and he just starts pouring what's left of a little bit of a bottle of beer on her head. And it's like a couple of drinks. So she gets like a little bit of beer running down her face then everybody's yelling. There's guy, you know how it is at these bars where there's a woman involved in these things, multiple guys that you've never seen come to her defense because they think that somebody's going to punch a woman. Yeah. Which Tanner wasn't. He was just giving her back what she gave to him, which he was, was just a, being Tanner. Exactly. <laughs> and it, that really wasn't like what he did to her wasn't even really that offensive. It was like a couple dr drinks of beer got spilled on her. He said some shit. She said some shit. And we could have just walked. But then another buddy of ours named Joe that was a little bit less um, controlled. Yeah. Say you, he had just gotten a brand new Heineken from the bar. And as the, as Tanner and this gal are having words, all I see is this extended hand come from like a six foot four guy, hold a Heineken up over this chick's head and just turn it upside down and just tornado it all over. And, and I mean, uh. mascara, Josh was running. Her hair was stuck to her. It was a full 12 ounce beer. And Joe didn't give a fuck. I don't know if you know the Joe that I'm talking about. We used to call him on the donkey show, Joe, the felon. Um, oh, yeah. No, I do, actually. <laughs> yes, yeah. and yeah. Uh, not a guy that you'd want to yeah. be in a fight with, no. right? No, Well, that whole party got pushed out onto the street, and there was, you know, some pushing and shoving. Everybody got kicked out. I, all five, 965 pounds of me, was tasked with taking Mr. Nobody-wants-to-fight-this-guy Joe across the street to the bookstore and trying to, like, calm him down because he was so mad. And I'm not kidding you, Josh. He just picked me up and moved me out of the way and walked right back into the fight. And there was like a fight on 13th and Kincaid, which happened all the time. Um, but I mean, look, it was a party bar. Like I, for every one of those nights is like that didn't even go that bad for me. Like I left that night laughing because I thought the whole thing was hilarious and I didn't get punched. So I'm not a fighter. Like you didn't catch me in the middle of any of these fights. I was always the guy on the side just watching with a huge smile on my face because I think it's so entertaining, but I'm never going to jump in the middle of it. No, I get killed. To let you know how busy that place got, though, is that I, I was like, you know, I was trying to burn and turn drinks, and my head down. I knew it was busy. Those things, like the stories you were telling, would happen all the time. I wouldn't know about them till the end of the night. And the bouncers are talking about them, going, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "We're like, what the fuck? That happened?" Because you were just so into <laughs> no, making we drinks. We didn't even know. Like, the, yeah, like somebody got beat to within an inch of their life, and cops came, and I'm like, I didn't even know. Like. What? <laughs> Well, because the DJ yeah. never turns the beat down, man. I do. It's, always the it's same funny the, the story you're telling about Tanner, though. I do have a story where, uh, uh, I don't. The worst is the weirdest thing is the worst customers that I dealt with, the most aggressive, were always female. Yeah, because I think they felt like they could do whatever they wanted to a male, and there was not going to be any right. repercussions. So I had this girl that clubbed me in the face with a pint glass, and it was. Um, and <laughs> the funny story is, it was, it was the day where he had three dollar AMS Long Islands until midnight, and so people would be. Fucked up. And that's why I always said that was a bad idea. I was the owner, but the owner it was a tradition. Well, at some point after midnight, you keep coming up ordering Long Island's AMFs. I'm not going to keep babysitting. I'm not going to keep going. Now, you know, these are 750 now, right? And it was like 1.30 in the morning. And this girl and her friends come to order 
for Long Island's. And I'm like, okay, 35 bucks or whatever it was. No, they're $3. I go, that ends at midnight. Bullshit. And I go, it ends at midnight. And I'd run her card. And she goes, fuck you. And just picks her pint glass up and throws it, hits me in the side of the face. Knocked, I still have no tooth where she hit me. Oh, my God. Um, and then her the guy friend starts dumps his drink on my head. And bouncers were on her like super Immediately, quick. Immediately, yeah. But it ends up to where police come. Like, you want to file? Fuck yeah, I want to file charges. She knocked it. So I go to court. I go to court over Taylor's with this girl. <laughs> and the judge was like, here's the deal. I'm going to award Mr. LaRoe $5,000 us for my tooth and like everything like that. And you're going to spend 90, this is, and this is like a 21 year old girl. You're going to spend 90 days in jail for assault with a, with a weapon. And he goes, but I'm going to defer it. You don't have to show up to jail for 30 days. And he goes, and if you pay him before that 30 days, we'll reevaluate your jail sentence. So the judge was basically ensuring that she came, came up with the money. And I was like, she must have had rich parents or something. Cause I had a fucking check show up in my mailbox in like a week for yeah. five grand. <laughs> Mom, I need five grand. Yeah. Why? Cause yeah. I'm going to go to jail for three months. Yeah. <laughs> Done. You know, I don't but even, I, I, you know, I was just like, what the fuck? I, I, and that was the weird part is, though, you know, when you're dealing with kids, like I said, on one hand, you're dealing with kids and they can be manipulated to, to act how you want them to act. And like, you can yell at a, a student and be like, hey, you're acting like shit. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Whereas if you worked at any other bar and you're yelling at an adult, they want to talk to the manager or they want to yelp, you get a Karen. But <laughs> on the flip side of that, you'll have some kid that will do something aggressive, like throw a pint glass, an adult in their right mind wouldn't do like, right. You know, so exactly. So there's They're that act out a little yeah, bit. There's that caveat that yep. was going on. And so that was a, that, that was probably the worst thing that happened to me there. Cause I literally was like just stunned. Like I took a pint glass in the face and close <laughs> over arguing about the price of $3 long islands. And I was like, I, that's, that's crazy to me, but that's the kind of thing that happened at Taylor's. It was just like, it was like this, God, it was like this great, awful place yeah. you it know it was like the most fun possible bomb that you could dance on yeah. like it's a most it was a it was a great minefield of, of fun you yeah, know like, and, like like when i said when i was working and didn't notice i knew we were busy and i didn't notice you know how busy we were but then like for instance the last day that they were open before they shut down i hadn't been in there but i went to pay respects and i walked in and it was so busy as a customer not a not a bartender right and I was like, fuck this. Yeah, I'm never going to get a drink. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, first of all, and it always blew my mind when I would step out for a quick break or something and there'd be a line of people down the block to get in the order. Like, I'm a grown ass man. I ain't waiting anywhere to get inside yeah. to have a drink. I'm fuck that. Yeah, I'll, just, I'll just truck my happy ass down to Rennie's and get in right away. Right. I'll go party with the grad students yeah. down to Rennie's, you know? But that's a, that was the cool part about Taylor's. If you went there, if you went to U of O or you lived in Eugene, you know that that was just. That was where you went to meet people. Yeah. There was going to be people out. And, like, you know, we it got to the point where we would see so many friends at Taylor's that we wouldn't even, but maybe one of us call another one. Like, I'd call my buddy, hey, let's go to Taylor's. We'd walk down there because we knew that there was already 20 people there that we knew. Yeah. We just, we didn't need to call them and, and organize it. We just knew that that was the spot. Um, and you know, it is sad to see it not there anymore, but I, I wouldn't give up most of my memories for that place, uh, or from that place for anything. And, and that brings me to something we kind of already talked about as far as kids and bar etiquette and tipping. You said you've met a lot of really, um, you know, famous people technically at Taylor's that you never would have met otherwise. Randomly too. Absolutely. So I have to ask you and, and, and 
I don't know if you want to name names. Nobody's listening to this. So if you want to name names, probably not anybody's going to hear. But absolutely name names. I want to talk about tippers because I know that there is a great discrepancy among the rich and famous as far as tipping is concerned. Some of them think... Uh, you know, and, and, uh, you might have a story from him because he was in Oregon for a while, but Scotty Pippen, they used to call him no tip and Pippen every place up in Portland because yeah. the guy was notorious for spending thousands of dollars and not leaving a server, anything or a bartender or a waiter. So, uh, I know you've got stories. I can see you over there like, like twitching. So lay it on me, dude. Well, the funny thing was, and this is weird and, and, and it just kind of correlates. I think now that I've grown and and become you know i'm in my 40s now and i think about it finally a man that's yeah. how i feel like it took till 36 but i finally feel like i'm grown up but i think it 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 comes with economic background and i think like a lot of the shitty tippers were athletes and i think it's because they came from nothing and they were always told hang on to what you got mm-hmm. and it was like you know and so i i kind of now have a respect for that you know but as a bartender back then um I'll talk about really good tippers first. Yeah, um, of course. Like I said, I was blessed to work there during both national championship years. So random people were there doing like remotes and things like that. So one day I was just, I was covering a morning shift and Ellen DeGeneres was in there with her people because they were doing a live remote on the U of O campus from the Ellen show. Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. And she tipped. The tyrant bad yeah, bitch herself. Yeah. T- I, that's what I hear that story. <laughs> I'm like, she was the, so nice and tipped. She probably hadn't gotten to that level of fame yet yeah. because that's what I think that's what it was with her is it got so big that it became Steve Harvey. Well, don't look at me in the hallway. Well, she had the Ellen show going. That was what the, she was doing the remote for, but I don't know if it had gone Uber through yeah. this world like she was the next Oprah. She's still a massive stand-up yeah. comedian on like yeah. a Jerry Seinfeld level yeah. though. So hugely yeah. famous. So she, uh, yeah, she was super nice and like they tipped like 200%. It was like, wow. Yeah. Um, another random one that when I said random people walk in, I was working a Sunday night and fucking there's, 10, five people in there and open the door and here comes Dan Aykroyd and his wife. And they were there just, they were passing through and he wanted to check out Taylor's because John Belushi and Animal House and wanted oh to see it. Oh my God, dude. Dan and, fucking yeah, Aykroyd. And he ordered, he ordered, they ordered a couple scotches and he tipped me like a hundred bucks and it was like off a couple drinks and it was, you know, the fat tipper. Yeah, and you so, just go home and put yeah. on your suit and watch Blues Brothers immediately, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But he told me, and he, he was very personal. He's talking to me because you know, I was one of those weird Sunday nights were the weird time where I had time to talk and like, I didn't normally work Sundays, but it was like just early on or when I was covering or whatever. Um, but he, yeah, you know, he was candid and talked stories and he said, yeah, my, he, it was funny. He's like, my friend, John always talked about this place. And I'm like, that's John fucking <laughs> yeah, Belushi. Yeah. I'm like, oh, play it cool, play it cool. <laughs> um, and then another one that came in, that was a really good tipper that was, it was close to my heart as a Blazer fan and it wasn't, you know, I mean, he's not a name that f- rolls off the tongue, but Jim, a guy named Jim Barnett. And this older guy, he walks in, and he played for the U of O in the late 60s. And he tells me, and he goes, ah, I was trolling cameras. I was passing through, and I was just, you know, tr- going down memory lane. And he sits at the bar, and it's super slow night. And he's talking to me, and the more I get to talking to him, I was wearing a Blazer shirt, and he's like, oh, you Blazer fan? He's like, yeah. He's like, well, I'm the guy that hit the shot that the first time that Bill Shanley said Rip City. It was me that made the shot. And no I was like, way. what? And so then I t- turn around Google Jim Bordet. <laughs> and it turned out, when I soon as I Googled him, he's the play-by-play guy for the Golden State Warriors. Really? And he played for the U of O, and he played for the Portland Trailblazers. And sure the fuck enough, he was the guy that hit the shot the first time Bill Shanley ever said to Rip City. And the guy, so then I casually start trying to ask him questions. And I get in this 45-minute conversation, he can't about basketball and the Blazers and playing back then. And, you know, he's talking about this 
new kid they got playing for him, Steph Curry, and like blah blah. And then he just tipped me fat, and it, that was a great. Oh, I great, bet just great. for like a hugely nostalgic moment yeah. for you being a lifelong Blazer yeah. fan. That's awesome. And hearing somebody talk like that, I'm always fascinated when you hear about people talk about. Uh, certain people that they may or may not be connected to before they become great. Yeah. Like, we got this new kid named Steph Curry. I don't know if he's going to be big enough for the league, but, man, he's got a silky smooth shot, <laughs> you know, and then just turns into to yeah. who he is now. So, so okay, I know that they're out there, too, though. The bad tippers? Bad tippers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and I and I apologize to any Duck fans listening to this because there's several ex-Duck players that were— Well, you're going to get them, yeah. and that's, I know that that's the case because it's it was the place where you, if you wanted to see a football player, yeah. you'd go down to Taylor's and there would be a football player, and you could go talk to yeah. him if you wanted to. If you were a woman and you were pretty enough, you could talk to the entourage after they got drafted and they let you sit with them. I know yeah. that because one of the guys you're about to talk about tried to get my buddy's wife and my wife to go sit with him one night. When I was fucking there, by the way, <laughs> I didn't appreciate that much, but I understand. Well, I want to preface this too by saying that Marcus Mariota, he didn't drink. That guy would, before he even had a pro contract, would tip 10 bucks on a soda. So that guy was. He's awesome. Yeah. He's that helmet over there is autographed by yeah. him. I got a picture with him. I feel real special but about the it. Two athletes that come to mind that were terrible tippers. And one of them I ended up having to kick out and it brought me great pleasure. And he tried to tell me, you know who the fuck I am? Yeah, I know who the fuck you are. The guy that doesn't tip. <laughs> Uh, that was LeGarrette Blunt was one of them. Wow. And, and he's a talk shit, get hit guy, too. So, I mean, he, you, you don't he, really know what's going to well, go on Well, he never with that tipped, guy. and he had kind of dated one of the cocktail waitresses for a minute, and then she cut it off because for whatever reason, and he was literally coming in and harassing her. Like, like it was like to the point where I had to step in and be like, you need to get the fuck out of here. It was a little bit of a wild yeah. card as a, as a younger yeah. college student. I mean, everybody yeah. knows that. You so, know? you know, he was like coming in and like she was trying to work and it was like, well. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off, but did I just say that the guy that punched somebody in the face <laughs> on live TV was a little bit of a wild card? Yeah. He was, a, it was said wild card in big, he was Charlie yeah. from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. Put it that so way. So he was a bad tipper, so that didn't, that didn't hurt me in the least to kick him out. But the number one story that I have is Aaron Brooks would come in and with his wife and he had like 20 million kids or whatever but he would always just sign his he would order like rounds of Patron and things and just sign his seat never like it was just like never tip anything and you know for the lack of a better you know better business like we weren't allowed to say anything or call him out but it was this perfect storm of it was a lockout year where the players were on strike mm -hmm. and he comes up and he's does this Aaron Brooks thing and has this huge tab and he signs it. And I don't know what clicked at me, but I looked at him and I went, I'm going to forget that you didn't tip because you're unemployed. <laughs> and his hand, his agent or handler tried to call and have me fired. I my, my boss was like, I would fire you if this wasn't so funny. <laughs> Yeah, and you it would have been considered by the entire service yeah. industry you falling on the sword because everybody's wanted <laughs> yeah. to say it. Nobody, just, did, like, nobody he, did. He caught me in a mood, and I just was like, <laughs> you know what, motherfucker? Yeah, I mean, and that's what if a kid can tip, you know, a dollar on a dollar beer, then you could tip ten bucks on a fifteen hundred dollar tab. Exactly. You know, I'm like. Pfft. Yeah, it's you know, and, and look, the only time I understand if you are not tipping and, and I know you said that there's sometimes some cultural differences and, and I yeah. hear that, but only for like the first year or two that you have money, like sooner or later, especially as a professional athlete, you've got enough money. Like if I out here in the in the podcasting world with no listeners has enough money to tip my waiter or my bartender then so do the professional athletes. Yeah. And and the other thing is, is I've always kind of been, because I didn't work in the food service for long, but I worked in it long enough to not get tipped and get pissed off about it. 
I've always thought is if you don't have money to tip, then you don't have money to go out. Yeah. yeah or, or maybe instead of ordering a Patron, you get well tequila, and part of that <laughs> yeah. Patron shot becomes a tip yeah. for the guy that just served you. So oh, we had our ways of making them. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I, I, one of the uh, funny stories I have is uh, this was just a random student, but he it was uh, he comes up with his friend, and his, he says it right in front of me. This kid goes, "Hey, order." beer always order beer because you don't have to tip because they can't make beer weak and i heard that i turned around i brought him a beer with like six inches ahead <laughs> and he's like what is that i go that's me making your beer weak <laughs> here i just gave you seven ounces of air and yeah. five ounces of beer and it was doing things like that to create your own tip because you're like oh, especially like dollar beers when people didn't tip okay i'm gonna give you I'm thinking ahead, so I'm going to give you two beers with six inches ahead, and that's only one beer cost. So one of those dollars is going on my tip jar. Right? Yeah. It was that was that was the kind of way that you had to think as a bartender there, which is totally out of the realm of of any other bar that you would ever work at. Right. This was a Taylor's. Thing. Yeah, it's a yeah. Taylor's thing. Like, <laughs> like, there's rules of things that you could do it could do it Taylor's. Like as far as or had to do to Taylor's to make your money, and we made good money, but we had to you had to work at, for it. Had yeah. to work at it that would just which just ethically would never work anywhere else. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Well, I, look, you could check your ethics at the door at Taylor's. Yeah. I think that that's true for both of yeah. the staff. Well, that goes back to me saying when you're dealing with kids, where if you try to do that at any other bar, next thing, they would be calling the manager the next day. Yep. You'd have eighty million different negative Yelp reviews. Especially in this social media era, they would be blasting it's, you. It's kind of like what you're saying is that, like, it, when you're dealing with the 21 year old kids that don't know how to act at the bar, you and them both have the same the same kind of inherent fears. Like, don't call my parents. <laughs> <laughs> it was also funny. This is a side note. The, my boss had it to where when anybody would run their credit card, it showed up as Taylor's Coffee Shop on this on a statement. Yep. Because. So many parents were having credit cards canceled, right? Yeah, because it was bad for business for parents to find out that they were using that credit card. At, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a place. It was in, coffee shop and bookstore, I think is what it was, showed up on the statement. I mean, you might know this. I believe there's a place in Corvallis where there used to be called the library. Yeah. And that was a place where everybody bought their beer. Oh, and yeah. that was one of the reasons that they did that. I've been there. <laughs> it looked like you were spending your money at the library. <laughs> what a good college student. Yeah. I don't understand why you needed to spend $1,000 at the library last month, but whatever, you know, and maybe it's a good library. Well, it added up with, you know, dollar wells and dollar beers. It was like they were spending 20 bucks, so yeah. it's more believable. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, um, okay, so we've gone through best, worst tippers. Um, you know what? Something I wanted to talk to you about that we got into a little bit before we even got on the air. And uh, I won't keep you much longer. I've already had you for more than an hour, believe it or not. So we'll get to this because um, I want to say right here on the air, because I haven't got to say it into a microphone, but you look fucking phenomenal, dude. <laughs> Thank and you. not to say that you you didn't look phenomenal the last time I saw you or the time before that, but you've been on a weight loss journey like for the ages. And uh, you told a pretty cool little story about how everything kind of came to pass and how you started on it. And um, look, I know that I'm on blood pressure medication and I have a blood pressure cuff in this fucking room. Um, so I think there's a lot of people out there around my age, around your age that might relate very well to your story. So let's hear it. So, you know, I was always a workout guy. Like I said, you know, playing football and I was always, um, I mean, like in 2001, I ran a marathon. Like, I, you know, Damn. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's so, you know, I was always the workout guy and I was always, but I always, as a kid, always struggled with weight. So I was always the fat kid in grade school. I was always the one. So I, you know, it's when I found sports, I found I was good at athletics that I got into, to, to, you know, shape, but I had, I'm not the guy that I had to work at it to do right. that. Um, and I, when I had my daughter eight years ago, um, just, I slowly started working out less and less and 
working in bars all the time and eating bar food and that kind of thing and, you know, and drinking. Um, before that, working out all the time was what was keeping me, you know, not from being morbidly obese. Right. But, but starting to now back away from that, I'm still keeping my lifestyle and my routine up and drinking and other extracurricular activities and eating bar food. And because of being a full-time dad, I saw it got off the rails I knew it got off the rails, but I was trying to be in denial. And I got to the point where I was not weighing myself, and, you know, um, and I didn't have insurance for the longest time being a bartender, but I got insurance. So I decided to go in, in, in 2020, January of 2020, my first checkup. And right I, before the world ended, yeah, you decided right, to make sure that you were healthy which for is the end. crazy that this, I <laughs> was able to do all this during a pandemic because yeah. everybody's flip-flopped. But, you know, I knew I went in and they weighed me. And first of all, they're like, I, I turned my head, but she nurse blurted it out. She's like 355 pounds. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm 355. There's no guy. And, and granted, like I know that the way that I'm built and structured and that, that kind of thing. When I ran the marathon, I was 250. And right. when I played football, I was 260. Um, but still to hear anybody to hear that you're over 350 pounds. I was like, what? And then the, to top it off, we go in and they take my blood pressure and they're like, yeah, your blood pressure is like 180 over 110. Like, what the fuck? Like, I... Just scary shit. Yeah. Dude. And so the doctor comes in and basically just, like, scolds me. Like, like you know. But the whole time that, that, that this is going on, I'm not thinking about me. I'm not thinking about my health. I'm thinking about what the fuck is going to happen if I stroke out and my eight-year-old daughter doesn't have a dad. Right. And that seems to be a very common thought among people getting their shit together is their kids. You know, what would happen to my kid if I wasn't here? It, well, and I think that's what's made it stick is that it's not for vanity's sake. It was nothing to do with, like, I'm in my 40s, like, and I've been in a committed relationship forever. Like, I don't give a fuck what somebody looks at me. Like, you, I don't care what you think of me. That's not, that's not what this is about. This is about the love of my child and, like... I couldn't imagine growing up without a dad. I, my dad's been there. Like, so <clears throat> I instantly just something switched where I'm like, I need to make a change and a change in a hurry. And I kind of went into it, you know, it was fortunate enough that I had enough of a nutritional background because of athletics and, and my past. Mm -hmm. that I, I knew what I needed to do. It's just doing it, committing and doing it. Right. It's they always <laughs> say that you can have all the, you can have all the good ideas in the world. It's the execution that really matters. And this, right? is, this is funny. I'm actually going to give, Tanner and Drew a plug because they talked about intermittent fasting a lot. Uh huh. And so I started out where I was doing just low, low carb, low sugar. Cause I knew that like, and for everybody that, that thinks carbs are the devil, sugar's worse, right? Like sugar is worse. So I started doing low carb, low sugar. And with my job, you know, I'm not able to work out like every day like I do. So it's like trying to find different workouts like on the weekend. So I took up hiking, um, you know, bike riding, things like that. And, you know, cause the world shut down and when the gym shut down, I mean, I'm not a guy that can go into a gym and work out with a mask on. That's just, no. the, like, so I had to create things that were different than anything I ever did. So, you know, I'm not, you know, it, hiking has been a big thing for me, but I was low carb, low sugar and I was losing weight, but it wasn't, you know, as fast as I wasn't on the clip that you wanted. Quite. Yeah. So I had been doing that from like January to like August. And then, Tanner and Drew on their podcast that you're also on talk about intermittent fasting a lot. So I started Google searching a lot of that stuff. That's the Donkey Show podcast, her daily on the iHeartMedia app. <laughs> and uh, it was that, them talking about that, that made me start Google searching that. And so I, I switched to uh, an 18 6 intermittent fasting, meaning that I only kick in calories six hours of the day and weights are starting falling off. 
Really? Yeah. And um, because I was also doing the diet with it. So, like, okay. when I would eat, it was low carb, low sugar, but I'm not eating three meals a day. So, my calorie intake was, like, dropping. Just down, yeah. Yeah. And just... And you stopped drinking as much beer too. I know that because you know you and I yeah. had a, you and I are enjoying a, a, a nice uh, light cider right now. We've also had a couple. We've we've cheers to seltzer in the past. So <laughs> well, I know again, that. a perfect storm of of trying to do this weightless journey and also not being behind a bar and bartending anymore. So I don't have the you know don't have the the bar food thing that's staring at me and people I, buying you shots all I'm the time. A, it's not the lifestyle where I'm in a bar seven days a week because it was it was a routine for a while where you know. When you get off work, you're drinking. Right. It's party <laughs> yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. It's party night, you know. So now I'm home, you know, in the evenings, and it's like, instead of having, and it's a difference. Even if I drank seven days a week, even if I drank seven days, it'd be like one White Claw or one cider as opposed to, to you know. Binging. Yeah, five yeah. whiskey Cokes, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, so. Oh, it's crazy when you start adding up, especially like we're, you know, we're in the Pacific Northwest, which is just uh, the best place in the world to drink craft beer. Yeah. And what you don't realize is every every IPA that you put back is a fucking pork chop as far as calories are yeah. concerned. It's 350 calories or something like that. And it's just empty. You're getting nothing out of it, yeah. you know? Well, and another crazy thing is, so in January of 2020, I was 355. Currently, as of last night's last time I weighed myself, I'm 238. Dude, that is amazing. I'm, Congratulations. Yeah. Over 100 pounds down. Over 110. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to, you know, my goal weight was 220, so I'm 18 pounds away. Because I've always been a big guy, so anything below... Anything below, I would look sickly if I was below 200. Look, I have cancer patients. I mean, I saw the picture of you with your shirt off on Facebook, and I couldn't believe that it was even you from the side. Which like, is another thing. I was like, I, a year ago, I would have never put myself out there like that, man. Yeah. Like, I was just like, the. I, it's just done so much for my psyche and my confidence and, you know, and, you know, my partner's been super supportive and... Yeah, dude, you know. and you make some of the bombest looking food for somebody that doesn't really have, like eat bread and like yeah. you know you keep the carbs and stuff low. I see the pictures that you share of the food, and I'm like, I, I have Josh on the podcast and have him make Ashley and I dinner. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Well, like th that was another thing is it's been very helpful that I've I, I know how to cook, and it's weird. Like I mean, this whole thing has been a journey of teaching myself because at the beginning of this, I was learning on the fly, but you know I've gotten to the point now where I can. You don't have to look up a low carb recipe. I can look at any recipe, and I now I know I can tweak things to make it low carb, low sugar. Like a substitute, I know what to do. Sure. And so that's just been kind of like constantly educating myself. And I, I and I know why people struggle with weight loss who don't know how to cook because it's really hard to go eat out. Yeah. It's really hard to go eat out and stick to a strict diet. Well, and dude, everything that you get at a restaurant, unless you're like sitting there watching them cook it in front of you and they don't add salt to it, it's just loaded with salt because it's yeah. preserved. It's meant to last. And, and salt, that was the thing for me when they discovered my blood pressure, they're like, have you thought about not licking a salt lick <laughs> 12 hours a day? And it's like, no, cause salt's delicious and I love it. And like, okay, well maybe stop, you know, when you rinse out with salt water, spit it out, don't swallow yeah. it. You know? Well, as far as blood pressure meds go with that initial doctor's visit they put me on three of them i went from none to three wow and then i had another doctor's appointment in january of this year and i'm want to say 30 pounds less than even when i was then and she took me off of two of them i'm still currently on one but i have a follow-up appointment in, in june and she said if everything looks good you're gonna take me off all of them so that's fingers crossed she, that's she, awesome she left me on one only because my blood pressure was in january of this last year was 130 over 88, but she goes, that's being on three blood pressure meds. So I don't want to take you off all of them just in case, but I feel great and I'm sure. hoping, yeah, but because I mean, meds are the worst, dude. dude Nobody it, wants to be, it's just a, it's a, it's a facilitator. It's not 
Right. And, and, you know, blood pressure meds are like one of those things that's looked at as relatively um, innocuous as far as side effects are concerned, but they are there. Yeah. And, you know, look, people might not want to hear about this, but like sometimes when I'm trying to take care of myself so I can go to sleep a little faster or something like that, if you know, you know, shake hands with Ben Franklin, polish the pewter, box Oscar, whatever you want (laughs) to punch the clown. Sometimes it's just not, it's not waking up like, (laughs) hey, hey. You know, and nothing. And it's because I, my blood pressure's nice and low, and it's not going to raise because yeah. I'm on my medication, so just keep it there. But the first time they put me on blood pressure medication, I was in college. I had just stressed myself, and, and this is what the doctor told me. You have stressed yourself into a case of irritable bowel syndrome. You literally had no reason to show any of these signs last time I saw you. You come in here an absolute stress case, and now you have IBS. So can you settle the fuck down, you know? And he's like, I'm going to put you on blood pressure medication, but I know that, you know, you don't have insurance, so I'm going to give you just a bunch of samples. He loaded me up with enough samples for a full month of blood pressure meds, and I took those, and they made me so lightheaded sometimes I could barely walk up the stairs to my apartment. One time I almost passed out at the top of the stairs, which it's a wooden staircase that underneath of it is concrete, so it probably would have died. But I, I went to my doctor when they put me on blood pressure medication fast forward 10 years, and my blood pressure was 220 over 200. I should have been dead probably <sighs> by that time, but... Um, you know, they, they put me on blood pressure meds there. And I told the doctor, I was like, look, I'm a little apprehensive because the last time I took these, it was like dangerous. Like I probably shouldn't have been driving a car while on this medication because I got so lightheaded. And he's like, puts his hand on my shoulder. and He's like, that's because you didn't need it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you were dropping your blood pressure through the floor. Like you, you probably had like a slightly elevated blood pressure. gave you a bunch of samples for somebody that is like a a solid 160 or 170 over a hundred. And you were peaking at like, you know, 130 over 85, like you were. And it, dude, it was uh, kind of a lifesaver though, because I, once I got on the new stuff here, just uh, earlier this year, I feel a lot better. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to good, work man. out more. I'm, I'm trying. We're going to Vegas in a month, like I mentioned. I'm trying not to look completely offensive at the pool. <laughs> um, so, because that's where I'm going to spend most of my time. It's either at the pool or at the at the craps table throwing rocks yeah. for me. So, um, but dude, congratulations, man. There's not very many people that have a the discipline, b the knowledge, and c the desire to lose 110 pounds in a year. Having a kid helps that you need to be around for. And I will tell you, I for whatever, bless the gods. You hear about people losing a whole bunch of hundred pounds, have a bunch of loose skin and stretch marks. I don't. I avoided that. I don't know. But you know, well, you're still young and pliable, Josh. You <laughs> might be calling yourself old, but you're young and pliable. It's a good, yeah. a good skincare routine. Well, and it was really, it was really weird because you know, athlete background, but then not having insurance. It's a real come to Jesus thing when you go to a doctor for if you haven't been one in fifteen years, and they're like, "You're a wrecked piece of shit." Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like I didn't have health insurance. You weren't telling me not to do the things I was doing yeah, for the last yeah, fifteen yeah, yeah, years. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I gotta have some guidance here, Doc. You're the one with the fucking degree. And on I'll the tell you what, there's not a big difference. There's not a real big physical difference between 20 and 30 but 30 and 40 oh fuck yeah god dude i'm only i'm only just a little bit more than halfway there i'll be 37 in september and one thing i've noticed you know we talk about booze on this show all the time the hangovers in the 30s have been a and even on the south side of 35 have been a completely different animal and every time that somebody said that shit to me when i was 25 i went okay old man i don't get hungover, so i don't yeah. have to worry about what you have to worry about with your old bones and now here i am just wait till you get to the point of throwing your back out from wiping your ass <laughs> that's uh that's a fun one i throw my back out and it's never doing anything physical it's like i stepped out of the shower i'm putting on my underwear you know <laughs> yeah meanwhile the 10 mile hikes and bike rides they're fine yeah. it's just the, trying to get my sock on my left foot 
Josh LaRoe, thank you so much for coming by, dude. Uh, one of one of my close friends and also somebody that has had a very interesting life and uh, lots of cool stuff that we've gotten to talk about here today. This is uh, one of the most unique podcasts that I've done yet because, you know, it hasn't had to do with stand-up comedy. It hasn't had to do with the normal vein of things that I've been talking about. And uh, I just really appreciate you taking the time, taking a chunk out of, out of your Saturday, bringing my wife and I a full case of this amazing Wildcraft cider. Thank you so much for that. Um, check out Wildcraft once again before we go. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug as far as uh, the company, yourself, uh, anything that you've got going on? Yeah, just check. come check out Wildcraft. I mean, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, I am so proud to work for this company because it is the only truly local cidery because we everything that, that we use is from the Willamette Valley, and we have our own farms. We are the people that, that have fruit pickers. We don't order fruit from outside. They come we hire people that go pick fruit at our farms. We take donations from the community. So we have actually a cider called uh, uh, Your Fruit, Your Cider, which is basically anybody in the community who has a downed apple, pear, plum tree, they can just bring their fruit to us. We'll give them cider vouchers, but we'll take all that community fruit, press it, and it's that's the cider that you guys made. We didn't have anything to do with that. You brought that to us. So That is amazing, dude. Yeah, so we're, I, I just like the fact uh, that we're so community-driven, and and it's just, it's just a pleasure to work for a place like that. So a couple similarities between the man room podcast and Wildcraft cider. I also will take your donations <laughs> and I will also take your fruit because I'm unemployed. So sometimes I need fruit for, you know, groceries and yeah. stuff like that. So let me know if you've not, if you know, you got some stuff that's maybe rotted on the ground, maybe a cat's batted it around. Let me know. I'll take it. Uh, a couple cans of Hormel chili or something. I think <laughs> Lying around. Go check out Wildcraft. Once again, nobody's paying us to say that, but if you want to, it's uh, it's a thing. We're here. It's the Man Room Podcast. I ask everybody at the end, as you well know, what did you think about the experience? I It was great, man. It was it was exceeded my expectations. I, I listened, a regular listener to the podcast since you started it, and I just think everything's been great, and I just feel honored that you let me be a part of it. Oh, dude, I feel honored that you gave me some of your Saturday and brought me drinks to boot. Josh LaRoe, everybody, don't pronounce his fucking name wrong. He's not going to tell you that you're pronouncing it wrong. I'm going to tell you you're pronouncing it wrong. Josh LaRoe, we'll see you next time. It's the Man Room Podcast. Thanks, Josh. Thanks. Thanks for listening. And and transmission.